But we're, we're in Matthew, um, and we've been in Matthew for a while. We kind of revisited it. We had a bit of a break over the summer to look at heroic faith. But this morning with the dedication, whatever, we've got a nice small passage of uh, four verses from Matthew chapter 8 that I'm going to look at. And it's great because it's a really famous story that whether you've been in church your whole life or whether you might have been to one Sunday school or maybe you've never been to church before, this is a story that you would have heard, even if it's in popular culture, that you'd have heard reference that Jesus managed to kind of calm waves somehow, that there was a storm and yet actually uh, a sea, the Sea of Galilee in this instance, um, was completely calmed just with his words. And that's the story we're going to look at this morning, but I just want to pray uh, before we get into that. So Father, we just thank you for uh, the joy and privilege of being able to um, be together as a family this morning, to dedicate Lottie to the Lord. To, uh, we're thankful for her life and we're thankful, God, that uh, you sent your son for all of us that we might know you. So we pray, God, you'd speak to us this morning, uh, that we'd hear what it is you have to say to us through your word, uh, specifically from this in Matthew chapter 8. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the story goes that uh, Jesus has been pretty flat out. He's been uh, ministering. He's been healing people. He's been doing all sorts of amazing things. And he's, he's tired. Just as you would be if you've had a, a full-on day, Jesus is tired. So they get into a boat. Him and his disciples, and they cross the Sea of Galilee to get over to the other side. It's not a bad joke, it's just what they did. And it's, it, it's called a sea, but it's more a big lake. And the story goes that as they're on the lake, Jesus is asleep because he's tired. The disciples will be in turns, will be rowing um, to get across to the other side. And then there's a massive storm that they get caught up in. Everybody fears for their life. Everybody's panicking. Everybody's screaming. They wake up Jesus. Jesus calms a storm, and then I'd love to, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I'd love for it to say something like, Jesus calmed the storm, rebuked the winds and waves, and then went back to sleep. It doesn't say that, but I'd like to think that's kind of what happened, that he's just like, oh yeah, that's fine, I'll deal with it. But the disciples here are fearing for their lives, and that's what I want to kind of think about a little bit this morning, is the idea of fear, and actually how uh, love overcomes fear, because whether we have genuine fears, or whether it's the fear of somebody finding out our fear, or we have kind of, you know, silly ones that are kind of for a bit of banter like spiders, unless people like genuinely have genuine fears of spiders. Yeah, or moths. Yeah, thanks. I wasn't really going to talk about it, but that, that, that is in the category of genuine, by the way. So that, it's not all these kind of things on social media where people send me videos of moths, and I really don't appreciate it. I, just putting it out there, don't like it. Um, but some people, like me, have a few fears, don't like things, whether it is moths, phobias, it could be heights. Some people don't like heights, fine with that. The dark, some people don't like small spaces. Um, or, you know, you could say things like insects and wasps and moths and things. All of these kind of fears, what they do to us is they grip us, don't they? They paralyze us. And you just, you just don't know what to do. If a moth comes into my lounge, I've had it. If you see a spider and you don't like spiders, you've had it, haven't you? You're either going to kind of melt down and I'm going to take him down, which I've been told is not very nice to do, apparently, by people that love animals. Spiders apparently count. But like with all these things, you, you're paralyzed by them. At least I am. But actually, more serious kind of um, fears also uh, can grip us and paralyze us, not just kind of insects or objects. But more serious things like having a daughter, Ben and Iona, and one day they're being boys. 
right? Anyone who's a parent, and I think specifically of a daughter, I, think, I don't know why it makes a difference, but it does in my head. This is a big fear. And so I came up, that, and if you go on the internet, there's all sorts of things about, you know, dads against daughters dating, and there's whole lists. And so I've actually made my own list of if, if in future, and I think this applies for a lot of you as well, if people wanted to date your daughter, there's just one rule. So it's, do you want to date my daughter? Point one, you can't. <laughs> I think that would solve every fear, every worry. We don't need to have the, you need to be back by this time, and you need to be a gentleman, you need to not drive a van, any of those things that you see on the internet. <laughs> Getting you back for the moth comment. Any of the above, it's just you can't. And that would, so, so serious things like daughters dating um, or spiders moths, they paralyze. But actually beyond that, we actually all hold pretty deep stuff, the fear of rejection. What if someone doesn't like me or what if somebody says something about me? Maybe the fear of all my life's work not counting for anything. When I look back upon my life and on my days, what will it count for? What have I achieved? What have I done? What happens if my life amounts to nothing? What happens if I don't get the grades at school or at university that I need to go on to the next plan of my life? We all have, what happens if I, I don't get accepted onto this course or that course? We all have a desire, don't we, to control the world around us. That's why we have the fears, because actually it just demonstrates we're out of control in that situation. But what if, what if we were never meant to be in control of the world around us? Have you thought about that? What if we were never meant for that? We were never meant to control every little detail, but we were meant to trust the one who does. What happens if that was li that's what life was truly about? Not about us being in control, but about trusting someone who is in control. What we tend to do is we either tend to kind of run away from fear and run away from these things, or we seek to control our situations and control our life in such a way that we don't encounter things that worry us. But what happens if we were to say, well, actually, I'll come to God in the midst of the chaos. Instead of either running away or fight or flight, I'll just come to God in the midst of the chaos. This is the story, Matthew 8. When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus was asleep. And they went and they woke him, and they said, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled. These are the guys that have followed Jesus for a bit now. They marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and seas obey him? What sort of man is this that's on the boat with us that the winds and the seas obey him? I mean, they've seen Jesus teaching lots and lots of people, as I said before. They've seen Jesus miraculously heal people. Just a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about a leper who was cured of leprosy spoke about uh, Peter's mother-in-law who was, had a fever and then was made well by Jesus. Or the centurion's servant who was just paralyzed at home and Jesus said a word and he was healed. Completely transformed. They've seen things already. They've seen remarkable things and yet still at the end they say, what sort of man is this that even winds and seas obey him? And Jesus is so tired, as I've said, that he's asleep. But it's good because his crew aren't people like me or probably like you because I doubt there's many fishermen, um, at least deep sea fishermen in Chesterfield. We're about the furthest we can be, aren't we, from the sea, I think, if I'm right, in terms of the UK, which is 
if you like the beach, it's not great. But these guys were like pro fishermen, some of them. People like Peter, he knew what he was doing. They would spend their days out on the lake. They would spend their days rowing and fishing. They were used to weather conditions. They'd have ridden through storms. They'd have experienced all that they do here. And yet, and yet a great storm is whipped up. And you can just kind of picture the scene that the seasoned fishermen, the disciples are like, well, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. Maybe we'll try this. Maybe we'll try and skirt the edge of the storm because I can see it coming. Maybe we'll try a different technique. Maybe we'll just try and get out of it our own way. And you just get the impression, just in the kind of desperation that you read when they say, save us, Lord, we're perishing, that maybe they've tried everything else. Maybe they've exhausted every single option they could have done. And eventually, like, we've got to wake him up. We've got to wake this guy up because maybe this guy can help us. Everything else we've tried has failed. And the water, I mean, the water is coming over the sides. The boat is being swamped. They will drown. It will go under. We've tried everything. It's not working. Let's turn to Jesus. This remarkable man who's been healing people, who's been doing remarkable stuff, is asleep on the boat. And the question is, well, what would you do? Well, probably exactly what the disciples did. <laughs> try and do it our own way. Try and get it without disturbing him because he's, he's really tired. We don't want to have to wake him up. And yet Jesus gets up, no drama, kind of says, what, what's the matter? <laughs> why, are you so, why are you so upset? Oh, you little faith, he says, in a kind of gentle rebuke towards them. And then the winds and the sea are calm. And I've just got a few um, thoughts on that. Before that, though, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. This isn't a fluke that Jesus spoke and then all of a sudden it was calm. If you've ever seen a storm or been in a storm, I wonder what it's like to kind of watch from the shore, seeing a storm and then all of a sudden not. But you know, with a storm and there's the clouds and there's the, the thunder lightning, the rain, the wind swirling, it gets the sea up, doesn't it? The reason that they were being swamped was the waves were swamping the boat. But it says here that the wind and the sea are calmed instantly. Now, when the wind gets calmed, the sea doesn't calm itself instantly, does it? Does it carry on? The wind carries on pushing. There's still like the remnant of what went before. But we're told here that instantly both the sea and the sky, the, the wind, were with a word calmed which is remarkable in itself. So it's not a fluke, and I've just got a couple of quick fire points just for us to think about on this Sunday morning from this story. And the first one that is just we've got to know who Jesus is. The, the disciples were in the boat with this guy, and you kind of got to question, well, they questioned at the end, what sort of man is this? Maybe they hadn't fully grasped who was in the boat with them. They had an idea, sure, but they hadn't fully made it all the way in. Surely if they knew who was in the boat with them, they may have just trusted that it would be all right. I mean, if, he, if, if this is the son of God and he's on a mission and he's here to do something, he's not going to drown in a boat. And we're on that same boat with him. So we're going to be all right. I wonder if that thought went through their heads or not. It makes you wonder. Probably not in the midst of the chaos because we don't always think logically, do we, in the chaos, in the storm. We're not always got our thoughts straight. They've seen the miracle after miracle, and yet they don't seem to kind of link up the dots, join up the dots with who he is. Psalm 89.9 says, You rule the raging of the sea. When it waves, 
when its waves rise, you still them. And, that, and that's not the only psalm. There's a number of psalms that talk about God and that his voice calming winds and waves. And what do we have here in Matthew 8? Jesus speaks and his voice calms wind and waves. It, it's, it's a deliberate, this is what we see the revelation of God as in the psalms. Here's Jesus. It's a deliberate reference to say this is more than just a man. Yes, he is a man. He's tired. We've got to remember that sometimes we go a bit too far and we say, oh, well, he was superhuman. No, he was a human. He got tired. He needed a sleep. He needed a rest like we do. And yet also, he's the son of God. The winds, the waves, they obey his voice. So it got me kind of thinking, actually, that if he is in control of the winds and the waves, which we know him to be, then why, oh why, did, I suppose you could say, the storm happen in the first place? What was the point in the story? Why did it happen? What's the point that's been drawn out here? They could have gone on a plain sailing journey across the Sea of Galilee. Have you ever thought about that? Whilst Jesus is asleep. But they don't. There's a storm that seems to come out of nowhere. And then at the voice of Jesus calms down and uh, it's not a straightforward journey and I think there's a couple of things in and around that actually God wants our hearts and wants us to trust him but before that I think there's a measure of even when we think that God is sleeping you've got to come to him I don't know if you've ever thought if you've prayed before uh, whether you're a Christian or you've just kind of experimented with prayer but you've almost felt like your prayers bounce off the ceiling that God might as well be asleep is that just me? Is that just that, that, that's audience participation moment. That's a no or a yes. <laughs> so don't shake your head at me because that doesn't mean anything because my daughter shakes her head and goes, yes. No, yeah. So I wanted a, no, it's not just me. Yes. Sometimes it feels like God is sleeping. Sometimes I pray and it seems like nobody hears me or what, what am I doing? What's going on in life? Why is this storm happening and I'm not hearing anything? Maybe you feel like that this morning. You've been struggling through life. You're in the midst of a storm now and you feel almost like God's just sleeping. You're going through this and God's just watching on. Where is he to help? It's as if he's asleep in the boat, not calm in the storm. And I love the way here that the disciples do it, can't you? I've said that you can picture it. I can almost imagine there'll be the guys that are rowing and desperate and then half of them wouldn't be rowing because they'd be on everything else and they'd switch and take in turns so they don't get exhausted. And you can almost imagine them turning to each other and saying, no, you wake him. I'm not waking him. There's no way I'm going to be the one that says, Lord, we're perishing. I'm not going down. I'm not getting written in this Bible book down in eternity as the one who woke Jesus when we crossed the sea. I'm not having that next to my name. He's sleeping. We'll leave him. It doesn't matter. He doesn't hear us. What's the point? I wonder if those questions went through the disciples' heads. And what we see here is they say, Jesus, Jesus, save us. We are perishing. What I like about it is it's not exactly a model approach to prayer, or at least we don't think it is. When we think of prayer, we think of this formal thing, don't we? Where we, you know, we've got to talk to God in this kind of really formal way, and we've got to set aside a set time. That's a good thing to do. But here we just see the desperation in the voice of the disciples that say, save us, Lord. We're perishing. And I want to say this, even if the way that we speak to the Lord, even if the way we do it is out of desperation and we do it badly and we do it weakly, that's better than not doing it at all. 
In fact, he just wants us to come to him as we are, weak and weary and in the midst of life's truffles. Truffles? Hmm. Tell you what I'm thinking about. Anybody wants to get me any? Happily have some this afternoon. Troubles. Life's troubles. A slip of the tongue there. Actually, he just wants to hear from us. Actually, God isn't sleeping. It may seem like it, but perhaps we're sleeping. Perhaps we're looking in all the wrong places for help. As if we were just in a dream and it didn't matter. But this life counts and what we go through matters. And when they wait, Jesus, he says, oh, you of little faith. He's not saying they don't have any faith at all. Don't take it as he's saying, oh, you little faith, I wanted my sleep. That extra five minutes would have made the difference before the snooze alarm came on. That's not what he's saying, but he's saying, oh, your faith is just a little bit defective here. It could be so much more. Don't you know who I am? He's not saying you don't have any faith, but he's just saying, look, recognize who I am and then come to me accordingly. Don't come to me out of fear only, but come to me out of the joy of knowing who I am. Wouldn't that have been brilliant? The disciples have been like, oh, it's Jesus. We'll, just, we'll go to Jesus. I know in the storm, it's great. Jesus, there's a storm here and we know you can help. Not just out of our fears. does he? Want. We don't want to just come to him out of fear, but in faith we go towards him. And the disciples do get there in the end eventually. Jesus doesn't want us to just come to him just because it, our life is falling apart. It's not just in crisis moments that he wants our attention. Sometimes we operate in that way, don't we? If life's fine, well, I don't need God. But if, if, if I hit a crisis, then maybe I'll try it. We say, oh, you have little faith. Why don't you come to me in the good times as well? Because actually you realize what makes this life worth living is walking with me. He's not a divine vending machine. I think that's the image we get, isn't it? Oh, I need some peace in my life. Oh, I'll go to God for some peace. I need some joy today, God, because I'm feeling pretty miserable. I'll get some joy. It doesn't work like that. We're to just go towards him. He just wants us to come to him. Even if you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, he just wants us to come towards him. And it's because he wants our trust. And this applies to all of us here. You see, when we are overrun by fear, when, and I mean like the proper ones, you know, fears that, I don't mean moths and stuff now. I mean like fear of rejection, fear of being out of work, fear of the future, fear of life counting. They're things that, whether we admit it or not, all grip us in one way or another. We all have those moments where we think of, well, have I made the right decision here? Or what's my future going to bring? So when you're weary, when you're run down, when deadlines loom at work, when crisis strikes, what's the plan? Because it seems to me that the plan for the world is to just go to the doctors. That seems to be the plan, doesn't it? Or run away from the crisis of life, which just doesn't work. Might work on a short-term basis, might work in that moment, but what's, what's the plan? Is it time off? Is it counselling? When life's out of control, is it to just hide away and put a pillow over our face and pretend like everything's okay? What, what's the plan when those moments hit? What are we relying on? What are we depending on? What's our life built upon? Because it's a bit like these disciples, they've exhausted all of their own efforts to make sure they can get across the Sea of Galilee safely to the other side by themselves. Oh, we've tried this, we've tried that. Oh, we'll try as a last resort, we'll try Jesus. 
We'll see if he can make a difference in my life. We'll see if the Son of God can maybe impact my heart and change how I live my life and change my outlook. Well, what if we were to go to him before we tried everything else? Have you ever thought about that? What if the disciples, instead of trying all these different things, just went, oh, Jesus is here. I'll trust him. Perhaps we'll try coming to him first. And I say that not as someone that gets that right, but as someone who does, the, does it the long way around as well. Someone who seems to exhaust every option before I think, oh, you know what? I should have gone to the Lord on that. God would have wanted me to just trust him on that. And I suppose the question is, if we've got God, then why aren't we trusting him? But if we don't know the Lord, if this concept of faith is very different to you, then I suppose my question is, in those times of storms of life, and you might not be in one now, but you will come across them because we all do, who then do we go to? If you don't have Jesus, what do you have? I think that's a valid question. Maybe we've got a self-help guide for what that's worth. But all our problems don't disappear. And actually, when we come to faith in Jesus, all our problems don't disappear. I reckon the disciples were still tired, a bit scared, soaking wet. They nearly died. Those things didn't change in an instant, did they? They still had that journey, but what they had was Jesus in the boat with them. So that when those storms do come in the future, they know, actually... I've got Jesus here who can spare me. The important thing of this story was not that not uh, there's the trust element, but there's also that what happened to the disciples. Well, as a result of what Jesus did, their lives were spared. Their life was saved. Which is, I think, what Matthew's trying to get across here. That actually it's about our life. It's about all that we are and all that we have and all that we do. Yes, we have all these storms at work and at home, but what about the storm of life? Of, of what life is about or what happens when I die? What happens in the future? What's the point? And I think this story in Matthew 8 is put there to say, well, Jesus is the answer to those things. Jesus is the only hope to those questions. That he's the only one who comes into the world to give us hope and meaning and purpose for our life. That he speaks peace to the storm that is death. There's amazing verses in the Bible, all through the Bible, about how basically Jesus conquers death. Sin, death, and hell are dealt with by Jesus. He speaks peace to death. It no longer holds its sting, the New Testament tells us. The great enemy of this life, if you like, Jesus speaks peace to. And actually he does that by coming and dying upon the cross. And it's not just a symbol of something like on the, on the banner ups over here. It's not just something symbolic, but something real, something that happened that 2,000 years ago he did die upon a cross. And he didn't come to just cross a sea and save them from a little storm. He came to save their lives eternally. And that applies as much today as it did 2,000 years ago, that he steps into the breach of that relationship that's blocked between the Father and us and takes the hit on our behalf. And he does that so that actually we can go free. He does that so we can be saved from the storms of this life and the ultimate storm of this life, if you like. So maybe you've been kind of questioning, well, what's this life about? What's my purpose? Or I feel like this at the moment. Or, I've got this crisis. Well, have you tried going to the Lord? He's not sleeping. He's waiting for us. He wants to hear from us and he wants us to go to him first because he loves us and he speaks peace to our hearts 
There's these great verses in 1 John chapter 4. And it's part of the chapter in the Bible is just all about the love of God. You read it and it says, this is what God's love is. This is how we see how God loves us. And then it says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And those fears that grip us, fears of the future, fears of rejection, fears of hopelessness, those things that grip us and paralyze us, God's perfect love here. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The love that God has for you in Jesus dispels those fears. Doesn't necessarily instantly change your circumstance, but dispels those fears. That actually the greatest storms of this life and what's to come are taken care of by Jesus. And I don't want for my life and I don't want for your life fears and worries to follow us like a shadow all the days of our life, because that's what they can do. But I want the path to ultimate peace. Doesn't mean I get an easy ride this side of heaven, but I want the path to ultimate peace, which is made for in the person of Jesus. And if you want that on this journey of life, and we pray that Lottie would have that on this journey of life, that as she goes through, she would know the peace of the Lord as she puts her trust in him. As storms of life hit us, as a church family and hit us as individuals, that we'll turn first to trust in him. And we have to remember that we can trust in him and we can come to him because he's first stepped in for you. And that this crossing of the boat in one way is just a metaphor, a real story, but a metaphor or a picture of what ultimately Jesus can do for you in saving you forever. And it says, in, it says in Romans 10, doesn't it? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Just as the disciples said, oh Lord, save us. We're perishing. He saved them. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's my challenge for you to think about this week and over the next couple of weeks. Is to, you know, if you feel like your prayers are bouncing against the ceiling, they're not. Keep going. But also, stop exhausting all the other options. Just put your trust in him. Come to him. That's what he wants. And I believe that actually he, he, he answers the biggest storm of life, doesn't he? And if he can take care of that one, then he can take care of the many others that we're going to encounter as well.